Morning. Morning to all of you online as well this morning as we continue in this series that we started last week, a call to pray, a call to pray. It's all about prayer. We're going to do some more of that in the service this morning. Let me say this, God's call to us, to people, right, to the world, Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, right, and I will give you rest. God's call is at the heart of his saving work. He's doing it every day. And Jesus said this, I think it was John 6, he said, No man comes unto me except the Father draws him. So our prayers, we're talking about prayer this series, it begins by asking God to do what only God can do. And that is to draw people to himself, to draw people to Jesus. But the point of this series is he asks us to join him, right? He asks us, to, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing, right? Because God doesn't need us, but God is calling people to himself, and he asks us to join him. And it begins by us praying for a burden. Okay, we talked about that last Sunday in this service, right? We, we don't really have that burden. We are so focused often every single day, just sort of focused. We can't get very much farther beyond our own needs, our own anxieties, our own desires. That's where we spend much of our lives, right? But Jesus says to his disciples, the passage that was looked at last week, he, he looks out you know, at the community around him and he says, I see, you see people one way, right? You and I see people that think like us, don't think like us, drive a nicer car than us, drive a not so nice car. We see people in sort of superficial ways or relative to what we can get from them. But Jesus sees them as people who are, who are harassed and helpless, and he wasn't just talking about materially poor people, right? Whatever they look like on the outside, he looked beyond the superficial and he said, I see people as if, as a metaphor, like they're sheep without a shepherd. They're wandering around without any guidance and any direction. And, the, and he says, listen, I want to pray. It start, this is where prayer starts in this reaching people. How do we become more engaged in the mission God has given us as a church. It starts with prayer. We need to begin to ask for a burden to see things the way that God sees them. But once we do that, okay, then we need to ask for a boldness and a courage to engage them. So these things go on at the same time. I need to begin, you need to begin, to begin to ask God every day, God, help me see people the way that you do. Help me to look beyond their skin color, beyond their political affiliation, beyond their socioeconomics, beyond all the things that we spend time focused on to see people the way that you do. Then once we do that, right, over the course of our days, we need a boldness, a courage to share with them what we know they need, right? That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what I want to talk about in the few minutes this morning. A prayer for boldness or to pray for boldness. Our passage, Acts chapter 4, we have a copy of the Bible right kind of in the center of your New Testament. Acts 4, there's a little prayer in here we'll read. Verses 23 to 31. Pray for boldness, follow along as I read. On their release... Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, 
You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, quoting the second Psalm. Why do the nations rage and peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, now he, gives, he applies that very psalm. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city, Jerusalem, to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Our prayer today, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let me say something. I'm going to give you the end in mind today. Pray for boldness. We want to do that in this service today. So just a few minutes from now when I'm done with this sermon, our elders are going to come forward, some people from our prayer team, and we're going to invite some of you to come and be prayed for, okay? So let me encourage you to be thinking about that. Let me say this about Acts chapter 4, okay? Now, we're not teaching the book of Acts. Let me give you a little context of where we are. The book of Acts, many of you may know, is the history of the church, right? So we have the Gospels and we have all these letters of the churches, you know, Romans, Corinthians, etc. But the book of Acts is sort of the history of the church. You, might, you can lay all the New Testament, if you had the book of Acts, you could lay everything sort of in the, in the um, outline of the book of Acts. It's giving you the history where all the other churches are taking place, where the history, it, la- it takes place in the New Testament. It lasts more or less about 35 or 40 years, So the early church, it starts out from the, let's say, the ascension of Jesus, Acts chapter 1, and it goes for about 35 or 40 years. So as we want to see the development of the early church, first in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, we see some churches planted in Europe. It all happens in the book of Acts. It's a history for us to understand, to see what can we learn about the history of the church, what it means to be the church by the book of Acts. That's why the book of Acts is here. Now, the first three chapters... Um, things are kind of up and to the right, you might say, right? We don't know how many years it covers, but it's things are going very, very well. In chapter 4, where we just read these words, things take a dramatic turn, right? In Acts chapter 1, there's the, the Great Commission is given, right? It's reiteration of the Great Commission. Jesus, the ascended Jesus, says to his early church, just these, you know, there's 120 people. The whole church is 120 people. In Acts chapter 1, he said, listen, Don't worry about your size. Go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to start the church together. Jesus ascends. Acts chapter 2, with this great moment, the ascent of of the Spirit. We call it Pentecost. And the Spirit of God came down. Peter gives this sermon, and the church is born. 3,000 people in one day become 
uh, saved and the church is born. And there's this beautiful fellowship that is experienced in Acts chapter 2. We see that the, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're praying. There's radical giving going on. Nobody had any needs. You need this? I'll give it to you. I have an extra one. There's this preaching. There's teaching. There's radical giving. And then it says, and the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. The church was growing by leaps and bounds. So much so, not only was all this beautiful um, fellowship happening, but even everyday people like you and me, who just before Acts chapter 2 weren't even Christians, were just rank and file people. Now these people, now called disciples, they weren't only preaching and they were teaching, they were actually healing people, just like Jesus was. Jesus said, you're going to do what I did, and it was taking place. So just in these three chapters or so, we don't know how many years took place, but it was this beautiful, idyllic picture of the church. But in chapter 4, okay, things change. When it says here and where we started, on their release, Peter and John, we, we, we jumped in the middle of that chapter. What they were being released from was jail. Because the powers that be here, where was this taking place? Not some in corner somewhere. Not some off in some you know, remote area over the Middle East. It was taking place in Jerusalem, which was the epicenter of this world. It was the center of Judaism. It was the power center of the Old Testament people of God. And this is where the church was taking place. This is where the miracles were happening. The people were coming and meeting where? In the temple courts. So the powers that be said enough is enough. And they took Peter the apostle Peter, and John, one of the 12 apostles, and they threw them in jail, okay? And if that wasn't bad enough, okay, they're, you know, they're a few chapters later, just to give you a sense of where this is going, okay? This is a turning point. They never turn back. It's sort of like this, this when all of a sudden, I don't know, it's one of these great uh-oh moments that you have in life. Like everything was going so good. Everything was going so beautiful in my Christian life, in the life of the church. Could not be going better, growing by leaps and bounds. This kind of love that was taking place between people that was, that was just unbelievable. This kind of giving and this kind of sharing and even the power that was going through everyday people. But all of a sudden, our leaders are thrown in jail. Is this going to be the end? A few chapters later, just a few, ch Acts chapter 8, okay, in this beautiful church, the persecution became so intense, right? There was another murder in Acts chapter 7, which is the, um, the, the, the Stephen, one of the great leaders. He was killed. After that, it says the persecution was so great that everybody except the apostles left the church. They didn't just leave the parking lot, Acts chapter 1. They left Jerusalem never to come back. All that was left after Acts chapter 8, if they gathered in a day like this, was the 12 apostles. Nobody else was there, and they never come back. Much of the New Testament, if you read it carefully, the, even the Apostle Paul, who's not even a Christian yet, they're doing this carrying um, throughout the, the New Testament era, throughout the early churches, they're doing a collection of money that takes years to do without, before they had you know, modern transportation and the internet, years to do this collection to help the poor, anemic church in Jerusalem, which used to be a mega church because of persecution. A few chapters later in Acts chapter 12, just to give you a sense of where this is going, one of the 12 apostles, the brother of John, Peter, James, and John, the big three, 
he's put to death by Herod, okay? Things take a dramatic turn here. And this is a time where the church prays for boldness. Let me say this. Let me think about what do we learn from this. Rob, are you trying to say there's some application for us here? I think there is. Now, you and I aren't walking out of here today under the threat of physical persecution. Some people in the world do have that, if you, if you pay attention, in, around the world, the church of Jesus. People are put to death for their faith, not so for you and me. But let me tell you how this started. This is the first time they're thrown in jail. And it's sort of just sort of the, you know, the, the sort of the protest throw in jail. You know, you, you protest something and, you know, it's almost part of your resume, you know, for, for certain causes and you get thrown in jail. You're not really hurt. You know, you don't even, you, maybe you spend one night. That's kind of what happens here at first. But here's what they say to them. I didn't have, I didn't read this verse, but it's verse 17 before they release them. It says, we have to put this thing to a stop. We need to stop spreading um, the, 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 this word. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them, this is the, the, this is the powers that be, to speak no longer in this name. They're saying, listen, we don't really care what you do. You can worship whoever you want. We want you to stop sharing the gospel with other people. As long as you don't share it with other people, just keep your mouth shut. Do your thing, but keep your mouth shut. That's all we want. And if you keep your mouth shut, we'll leave you alone. I'm not so sure we're not in that kind of situation today in different ways, okay? There's an increased pressure, it seems to me, in our culture for people to keep their faith to themselves, okay? We're supposed to go along to get along, right? Just keep it to yourself and you'll be okay. But see, if we keep it to ourselves, we fail in the mission. Because it starts with, with a burden seeing people, not from a superficial way, but the way that God sees them, as sheep without a shepherd. People who are spiritually lost and without hope in this world. And you and I need to have a boldness to go beyond our own fears, beyond our own concerns, beyond our own, you know, whatever it is, right, embarrassment, and share the gospel with other people. So what can we learn from these leaders in this moment. A couple, three things quickly. Number one, we need to begin with the character of God. This prayer, we're just going to look at this prayer. Begin with the character of God. Before they even get to the request, there's only a couple things mentioned down in verse 29. Lord, consider their threats and pray for spiritual power. But they, they, they begin with the character of God. You and I need to begin with the character of God. They fill their mind with the sovereignty of God, back in the text. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What a thing to say. They're in this situation. There's physical threat, persecution. Their leaders are thrown in jail. Now it's time to pray. And they start with this deep theology. Lord, you made the heavens and the earth, verse 24. You spoke by the Holy Spirit uh, through the mouth of your servant David. And verse 28, you decided beforehand what should happen. They go into the, the, the sovereignty of God. They start with, with filling their mind with the sovereignty of God. Before they ever say, this is what I need, they remind themselves of the God of creation, the God of revelation, and the God of history. Right? What does that tell me? What does that tell you? I need to, as you think about whatever you're facing today, we're talking here about 
courage to share the gospel. But see, one of the things that stands in the way of me having the courage to share the gospel is fears and anxieties in my own life, right? Because my life is my, life is my, my, my gospel preaching in a way, right? So whatever it is in my life, right, wherever I have some fear, wherever I have some anxiety, maybe it's in my marriage, maybe it's in my work life, maybe it's in standing up for things that I should be standing up for in my everyday life. Wherever I have fear, this is where I need boldness. This is where I need courage. And what this passage is saying is, listen, I need to begin with God. I need to fill myself such with the sovereignty of God, with the character of God. I need to tell myself, before I ask God for what it is that I want to ask him for, I need to fill my mind with who he is, and I need to say, God, who is God, and how can I can reset my fears in the context of who he is? I want to say to myself, before I even get to my request, I want to remember, God, you are the one that created the world. You are the one that created me. You are the God of revelation. You spoke the world into existence by your servant David. And you decided beforehand, talking about the death of Jesus, you're not only the God of creation and the God of revelation, you're the God of history, including my history, right? They want to begin with the character of God. I think the problem with many of us, with me at times, if we're honest, okay, is we're trying to live the Christian life in our own strength, okay? We think we got it down pretty good. We're trying to live the Christian life in our own strength, but the more we do that, this, the more we realize how completely unsuccessful we are. When we try to live the Christian life in our own strength, we end up having no real victory in our lives, and certainly no real power in our witness in sharing the gospel with people who are far from God. See, what these leaders did, they decide to focus on an attribute of God that directly relates to the problem that they're having, right? They decide to focus on an attribute of God that directly relates to the problem that they're having. Right now, they're in a place of fear, their leaders are thrown in jail, and it, it strikes fear. It's an uh-oh moment. Is this going to be the end? Are we next from the persecutors? Am I going to be the next one? Are they going to shut us down, which they do? They shut the whole church down in Acts chapter 8. So they say, God, we're fearful. So what do we, we have to go to the, we have to go to the word of God, we have to go to our faith and say, I have to find an attribute of God and I want to think about God, who God is and I want to bring that attribute into my heart, into my life so it settles my fears, resets my fears and puts them in the context not of my strength but of His. Okay, and this is what prayer is. We have to begin with the character of God. Now look what happens when they do that. He's the God of creation he's the god of revelation he's the god of history watch very carefully verse 28 they talk about he quotes psalm 2 and he says listen this is what's happening the kings of the earth are rising up together against the lord and against his united and they crucified jesus our Lord, they, they actually walked with Jesus. They'd spent time with him. They had a personal relationship with him. They thought things were going in one direction. And all of a sudden, Jesus is taken, arrested, falsely accused. And not only that, not just thrown in jail, or rent, he's crucified and buried. Now, if you, I'm sure, we know this, the, the, the shepherd was, was smitten and the, sh and, the sh and the sheep 
speaking of the 12, they were scattered. There was a moment for those three days when Jesus was in the, was, was in the, was in the ground where they said, this thing's been a complete failure. This, was a, this, this thing ended in a bad way. This was not what we thought it was going to be. God failed. Jesus failed. This whole thing was a mess. But when he rose from the dead, verse 28, they did, speaking of the powers that be, what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They said, listen, because they went into the character of God, that he's not only the God of creation, he's not only the God of revelation, he's the God of history, saying, listen, we thought they're confessing something. We thought that when Jesus died, it was the end. It was a disaster. But what we discovered was out of that, what seemed like a disaster, which seemed like a tragedy, Actually, you changed everything. You brought the forgiveness of sin and reset the world in a whole different way. And if you can do that, if you're sovereign in history and you can make something out of the mess of the crucifixion of Jesus, what can you do in my life if I'm willing to, to change my mind, to open my mind, and to give you a free hand in my life? Right? We need to begin with the character of God. Right? One writer said this. Listen carefully. He said, commentator Robert Tannehill. In a time of threat, prayer can be a rediscovery of the sovereign God who wins by letting our opponents win and then transforming the expected result. This rediscovery can keep God's witness faithful in spite of threats. They didn't take, listen very, very carefully. They didn't take the threats personally because they assessed them theologically. You understand what I'm saying? They didn't take the threats personally because they said, wait a minute. This, what they did, this awful behavior, what they did, you decided beforehand should happen. So I'm not taking these things personally. I'm not going to take this persecution personally because this is all part of what you're doing. They access them theologically, listen, in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why, friends, going back to where we were a month ago, you need to know your Bible, right? You need to, back to the first habit, spending time with God. If there was ever a day where Christian people Non-Christian people too. But Christian people needed to know their Bible. It's today when the world is turned upside down, when there's so many false narratives out there, even a lot of false narratives about what it means to be a Christian. And if you don't learn how to assess your life by the gospel, assess what's going on in the world by the gospel, you are going to get it all wrong. Right? You have to begin with the character of God. Second, you need to pray for power. That's what this prayer is really all about, right? In fact, the prayer doesn't, the requests don't even come to the 29th verse. You have to start with the character of God. But then it says, now, Lord, now that we've reestablished our hearts, we've reset our hearts. It's not about me. It's not even about what I think. I'm going to reassess it by the character of God, the sovereignty of God. Oh, I've, I've, I'm going to take a deep breath, and I'm going to reset things, and I'm going to see things the way that you do. Now, let's get to my requests. But what's so interesting about the requests, verse 29, there's only really one verse, is, is what they don't pray for. They don't pray for protection. 
that interesting? And I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for protection. I shouldn't pray for protection in my work, in my life, in your marriage, whatever the case may be. We ought, there's times where we should pray for protection. But it's interesting to me, in this moment, where what they're facing was physical threat, they don't pray for protection. They're not praying so much for what they might lose. They're praying for what they might and others might gain. Okay? They say, listen, Lord, all we want you to do is to consider their threats. In other words, bear in mind the threat that's facing our lives right now as you answer the prayer for power. In other words, give me the, 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 the right appropriate level of power that I need for this challenge. That's what they're saying. Do you pray that way? Do I pray that way? It's important to know that the power being prayed for here, the courage being asked for, is a divine gift, right? It's not a moral virtue that's acquired through exercise, right? They're in the moment. They're saying, Lord, right now, give us, consider these threats and enable your servants to have a courage, a boldness, a power to respond to them. They're not going to school. They're not going to you know, some camp, training camp, saying we need this and we need it right now. What they're talking about, of course, is the power, verse 31, of the Holy Spirit. But let me say something very quickly about the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Spirit. Okay? It's mentioned twice just in this passage. It's not a second blessing. Okay? That is to say, you know, there's all kinds of theology out there that the Holy Spirit's not given once, it's given twice, and have you had the second blessing? Well, that's, not, that's a very easy theology to undo because Peter himself gets it three times in the first four chapters. So what happened to the third blessing and the fourth blessing? Okay, let me tell you what the feeling of the Holy Spirit is. It's not implying that you were empty, right? Like you're, you're full and now you're empty. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a metaphor for control. If I say, you know, you're full of hate, you're full of joy, I'm, I'm using that as a metaphor to say hate controls you right now, joy controls you right now. We talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's about the presence of power of God where it meets your doubts and meets your fears. And it's, it's, it's asking God for a, for a renewal, a fresh experience of his power in your life and in my life. That's what the, in fact, they pray for it many times. Twice in this chapter, verse 8 and verse 31, Peter the apostle is filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's the power of God to meet your doubts, to meet your fears. Every time it's asked for, it results in the book of Acts anyway, both in Dramatic healing and bold proclamation. And here they are again, just in the fourth chapter, asking for it again. Okay, One of my favorite prayers, and as an example of this, in all the Bible is in the book of Nehemiah. It's just four words. And if you know the story of Nehemiah, it's another time of great trouble and difficulty. Not only were there people thrown in jail in a manner of speaking, they completely came and exiled the people of God out of Jerusalem, right? And not only they exile them out of Jerusalem, kind of like they did here in Acts chapter 8, they, to, to make sure that this thing didn't continue, they took the temple, they burned it to the ground, and they exiled the carted the people up. But God brought them back 70 years later. And Nehemiah comes back. In chapter 1 of the book of Nehemiah, he prays this amazing prayer for boldness. 
And he says, God, forgive our sins. And if you're, gonna get, if you're calling me to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, if you'll make a way for me to go, I'll do it. And he does. That's what the whole book of Nehemiah is about. But in the middle of that God-ordained project, the opposition doesn't end. And there's people throughout the whole book that are constantly trying to stop the work. And here's a prayer that Nehemiah prays. Verse 9. Four, four words only in the prayer. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. They being the, those who were in opposition to them. They're named in the book of Nehemiah. They say, listen, we're every single day, we're up here trying to simply build this wall to do what God has called us to do. Listen, do what God's called you to do. And Nehemiah doesn't complain and say, Lord, why is there opposition? He understands there's opposition, but this is what he does. But I prayed, not Lord, end the opposition. Now strengthen my hands. That's what he prays. Strengthen my hands. This is the prayer. This is what these friends are praying for in Acts chapter 4. Lord, it, just simply consider our threats and enable your servants. Give me the appropriate power and the courage I need to face what I'm facing right now. Do you pray like that? Do you, do, do you know how to pray like that? I, my, every every um, summer, my family's been going to the Adirondacks for 20-something years. And my, you know, it's my siblings that are adults, the kids, nieces and nephews. And we've been doing it. And this year, speaking of praying for power, we went to a place where, um, you know, we always rent a house. But in, in this one place where we rented a house, just happened to be on the property was this historic monument church that was built over 100 years ago or so in, in Racket. Like it just had nothing, we didn't pay for it, it wasn't a part of our, but it just happened to be on the property. They even had a little guy that um, was on the property, or I should say a couple, that were there that took care of it. Just happened to be, okay? And they said, listen, as long as you're here, since this, this is part of the property, if you want to, you know, go tour the church, it's this beautiful, they had just restored it about five or six years ago, it's over 100 years old. And so, of course, you know, we, we didn't even know that until we got there, but we did that. But after a couple days, you know, a member of my extended family, nieces, nephews, they said, why don't we have a church service? You know, why not? And, of course, Rob, you're a, you're our, you're a pastor. Why don't you give the sermon? Now, you might say, well, that's the easiest thing you've ever done. My goodness. Isn't that what you do for a living? No, it's not. I give sermons to people like you who decide you want to get out of bed and be here in the morning. Okay? But in my extended family, okay, think about your extended family. I mean, in the sense of how hard it is to share your faith with people in anybody that's not a Christian, but people that are in your family. Okay? This is my extended family, many of or some of who don't go to church, don't care about church. Not only that, what they think about the evangelical church is what they learned, not from this beautiful book, but they learned from, from cable news, okay? It's all the awful lies and baloney. And so they're, they're not only really expecting a gospel message, they're thinking the worst of the worst. But, I mean, so we're doing this as a family, but I'm given this, uh, this challenge to give, and I say, Lord, strengthen my hands. This might be, this five-minute sermon or whatever it turns out to be, the 
most important sermon I give all year to these people in my family who don't know Jesus, okay? It was one of these, Lord, strengthen my hands. Now, I, I can say this, uh, thanking the Lord. We, I did do this. It was, I think my sermon was certainly under 10 minutes. The whole service was probably 15 or 20. My nephew played the guitar. When we're leaving, my sister-in-law, not church-going lady, said to me, if church was always like that, I'd come. Really? And then, of course, my other sister said, she's a Christian, she said, it was just because it was so short. But, uh, <laughs> but really, it was one of those moments, guys. And I have more and more of them, I hope you do, where I'm praying for boldness, okay? I'm praying for boldness. God, strengthen my hands. And it begins with the character of God. You need to pray for boldness. Finally, you need to expect the unexpected. Let's see how this ends. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and, the, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Listen, here's back to knowing your Bible. The word shaken, why is this here? Why did it happen? I'm sure it happened and is written here to bring our minds back, to bring their minds back to two very, very important moments in the Old Testament. When things were shaken. One would be Exodus 19. And in Exodus 19, it's, it's the giving of the Ten Commandments, but Moses is up at the mountain. He comes down from the mountain to tell the people, in three days, the Lord's going to come and deliver the covenant. And why he's coming down the mountain, Exodus 19, it's the most powerful demonstration. There's thunder, there's lightning, and the mountain shakes violently. And God's trying to make a point. And he says, when Moses goes back up to the mountain, no one even needs to come to the base of the mountain. If you touch the base of the mountain, you'll be killed. There's a, there's a powerful message about the holiness of God when Moses goes up to get the commandments. The second time it's used is Isaiah chapter 6. The great prophet, one of these really unusual moments where the, someone actually is transported to the throne room of God. Isaiah's in the throne room of Almighty God. All these strange beings. And there's a temple See, the temple on earth is modeled after a temple in heaven, and God's in heaven. The Lord God Almighty is in his temple, and, the, and there's these angelic beings that are constantly saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory, and it's so overwhelming for the prophet. He says, oh my goodness, I'm a man of unclean lips, which is a way of saying I'm a sinner. I have to get out of here. All right? And it says, the posts of the temple were shaken, okay? Because the shaking represented the holiness and presence of God. But here in Acts chapter 4, the place shook, but they didn't because, they, because of Jesus Christ. The place shook, but they didn't. Instead, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. After they prayed... A prayer of boldness. The place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, a fresh experience of God's power, and they spoke the word of God boldly. God, this is what we need to do, okay? We need to start by praying for a burden. We, not, we, need, to get out. we need to get beyond ourselves. We need to say, God, help me see the world the way that you do. 
right? We need to stop focusing on ourselves. Help us to see people the way you do, right? Beyond their superficialities, beyond these things that we use to define people. Help us to see people as people who are without hope and separated from the life of God. And then we need to pray for boldness. So we're going to take a minute right now. We've, we've saved a few. Our elders are going to come up here. I'm going to come up here, okay? And we're just going to have, ask you to come forward. What are you going to do when you come forward, if you do? All you need to do is to say your name. My name's Mike. My name's Karen. Just say your name. And what we want to do, I want you to bring with you a couple things in your mind. Maybe there's a fear that's standing in your way from experiencing God in a full measure that he's asked you to experience him. A fear that's been standing in your way uh, that's keeping you from sharing your faith with other people. Maybe you need to ask God, what you're asking for is that God would create a burden in you that you don't have, right? For lost people in your life. Maybe what you're doing by coming forward, elders, please come forward, by the way, right now and, and stand up here if you join me. Maybe what you need to do, okay, is to say to God, listen, strengthen my hands, Lord. There's an area in my life where I need you to strengthen my hands. Strengthen, maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your work life. Maybe it's in taking a stand in some area in your life, right? That's what's keeping you. This is a prayer for boldness. And all you need to do is come forward and, um, here, spread out a little bit here this way, guys. And, um, And just say your name. Let us pray for you. And we'll take a few minutes to do this as we close. Amen.